We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try. Any hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How are you today? I realize you always get stuck with the. Uh, how are you today first? So you always are put on the spot first after our intro. Hey, hi. You know, I'm pretty good at uh, like just tossing out some sort of ADD squirrel. Uh, <laughs> I always like how you say something right before I hit record <laughs> where we're both laughing. I know today we did, which we don't normally do. Um, maybe we can start doing that just a little it was a three-second meditation, just a, a prayer for clarity, wisdom, and I think love. And then right before it went live, I'm like, oh, enjoy. <laughs> Always joy, too. And joy. And joy. Well, I'm looking out over the valley, which is, it's been raining hard for a couple of days here. The trees are still covered with, you know bright leaves it's cloudy and it feels like just the perfect aside from the perfect fall day being you know crisp and clear this is the perfect fall day to be you know cozy in my house with soft lights and um you know tea or something how is it in michigan where you are dreary it for the past couple of days just rainy like the, what you're describing yeah yeah but it's fine when you don't have to go out into it when you can have a cup of tea or something and yeah be in your home but yeah, it's been really gray here and shifting, but, uh, and mostly green trees still this late into October, like fall is taking a really slow time to shift. That's interesting. Yeah. I, well, you know, I used to live in Michigan and so usually by this time of year, it was, you know, peak color or getting ready to be done. I know. And I'm leaving on Friday. So the only, the good thing about that is usually like I would be helping my friend i'm at, at goran's place and he's got this huge beautiful uh tree oak tree in the backyard and normally i would be helping rake the leaves up but they haven't fallen yet so i'm going to get out of town before i have to do that <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> always looking for the bright side baby <laughs> i actually don't mind raking leaves though it's kind of meditative I don't mind either. I used to do it for a living. You know, I was a landscaper. And so I have to say when, when, when it all happens, you know, when the leaves are just down, I see people, you know, whose job it is to clean them all up. Um, especially when it gets rainy and cold, I'm like, Oh man, I know exactly yeah. what that's all about. You know? Yeah. When they're all soggy and gross, it's not quite as fun as when it's crisp and dry out. Yeah, you know, like when I lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, it, we'd try to catch it before any snow fell or before it was raining. And it's just this festive, you know, yeah, there's just piles of leaves uh -huh. and jump in them and stuff. And <laughs> Well, we had a really interesting episode last week. Um, I, I enjoyed it. And I was just curious if you had any reflections on that one, we can totally not look backward at all, but I just really kind of loved some of what happened there. And I was curious if you had any processing or thoughts since then that you think you'd like to share. Um, only that 
I listened to that episode and I don't listen to our episodes after the fact. And the reason I did with that one is because when it ended, I felt like I had been whiny and unclear and just kind of not a very helpful (laughs) source of anything. And I, so I was, I wanted to hear if that was the truth and I'm happy to report it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Like I actually thought there was, I thought you were wonderful in the last episode and you were keeping things grounded and moving forward. But I realized also that I wasn't nearly as whiny overall as I possibly felt in my head. And that, I mean, that's all part of this anyway, right? Like we can't always come to the table with our clarity with our sense of how things are and yeah jacob's doing some (laughs) motion with his hand and body i think is that's that's signifying enlightenment enlightenment and peace (laughs) unshakable peacefulness exactly oh and wisdom scott and wisdom and And wisdom (laughs) always unshakably wise peaceful (laughs) and joyful (laughs) exactly exactly so it was um no it was good you know what about you? You're bringing that up, so if I feel like you maybe have some things to share. Well, I didn't. I didn't have anything in particular. Just it was interesting. You, I was so glad you did listen to parts of it, and were able to reassure yourself. I tried to reassure you a little bit during, like, no, you're not. Be, you're not being whiny. I don't think I'm not getting that. But you know, I love that. I love having trust with a friend and kind of eat either direction it needs to go. Hopefully, it's a exchange a give and take as those things are needed but i love being able to show up to a friendship with honesty and Mm -hmm. let stuff hang out and go look (laughs) i'm getting better about not even prefacing it now but sometimes in the past a lot i would like okay this isn't going to sound very smart or whatever but i need to say it and um, more and more i have the the handful of friends that i really you know cultivate I feel the freedom to, to be that way and know that, that they're going to understand. They're not going to judge that, you know, it's like, and they're going to also help me spot if it's a pattern, if it's something that has been working me for a long time, it's just keeps coming up. Hey, tell tell me more about that. Like what I've noticed that that's been on, on your mind or in your craw for a while now. Can you tell me more? So that kind of trust to me is, is crucial, you know, and I think not everyone has it. Yeah. And with, in terms of friendship, absolutely. We have the added layer of this is a podcast Mm -hmm. and we're sharing it with the world. And I know, I mean, you said you wrote to me after that episode, when I told you, Hey, it's not as horrible as I thought you, you said, you know, we're really doing what we set out to do with this podcast, which is how I feel as well. And ultimately I, I feel what we set out to do was to be as open and honest as possible and talk about stuff from that through that lens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there is an intention, a personal intention with what we're doing here. And I, I believe it's your intention too, to be a source of, of reflection, a source of, um, wisdom at times, even if not in every moment. Right. And I don't necessarily feel like if I were just coming to you and calling you on the phone, I'd feel more okay feeling whiny about whatever it is I'm talking to you about. But the fact that there are people listening and people that, that I'd like to serve in some way 
that that feels positive to them mm-hmm. it's this extra layer of i don't just want to show up and whine and moan about my life i want i want there to be insight in the context of it but the beautiful thing of us doing this together is that if i'm talking about something and i'm ungrounded you're able to step in and be like well this is what i'm hearing Mm-hmm. you know, about that. And if, if you're doing that, I'm able to step in though. You rarely come to these ungrounded, I must say. <laughs> it's pretty annoying, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hear that a lot. You're just annoyingly enlightened. Or you're annoyingly grounded. <laughs> That's right. Just annoying. You know what I mean? So it's like that, it's that extra layer of this is going out to people, but even yeah. that is, I do believe there is such value in just um, bearing witness to people being honest with what they're going through, mm-hmm. even if they are have no answers within it or are unclear within it, and if that's if that's the gift I'm giving all of you listeners <laughs> with my whiny unclarity, lack unclarity that doesn't sound like a word right now. I'm sure it is. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I think you know it's interesting. I have a I have a couple of friends who are you know really prominent authors and talking with them behind the scenes is so encouraging to me because, you know, they're famous and they've done things and you just kind of think, well, they're not, they don't ever have moments of self-doubt or thinking this thing, this project I'm working on right now is absolute shit. There's no way it's any good. And they do. And so I think, I think that's actually part of, as I see it, it's part of where we are in the world right now, which is um, when I say in the world, you and I have been, in the circles for a long time of people who are in some way seeking a deeper spiritual connection with life or in some way seeking, you know, greater awareness or whatever. And I think there were a couple of waves of these, Scott, and one that was really starting to kind of crack open about the time that, you know, 2006, seven, and when I was really starting to kind of realize being called into something, an awakening in my own life, there, there were these waves of teachers and some of them, and we're finding out more and more, some of them really weren't living what they were teaching and they became famous and sometimes wealthy through these teachings and they got put on the pedestal. And I think that what we're seeing now is a time during which anyone who seeks to be a guide, who seeks to share, the standard needs to be, are you living that? Are you willing to show me the ways in which you still struggle, in which you're still very human. Because I think some of those previous figures and some of them were, you know, wrote books and did things that really were life-changing for me. And so I'm not taking anything away except to say, I feel like we are all so hungry for show me that you walk your talk and show me when you don't walk it, be willing to be honest about it. And I think that staying off of a pedestal has a really a lot a, a lot of value for all of us for me. Sure, yeah. I mean, I I agree, and I think you know we're the ones. I'm the one who's putting a person on a pedestal whenever that's happening. Mm-hmm. So whether or not they're choosing to stay on that pedestal, you know, it's what I'm doing, like how I'm receiving someone or perceiving someone, and I I feel really okay with putting people on pedestals in a healthy way in the sense that there are people who've really, really touched me, who've really helped me in my life. And 
even my friends, I feel like all my friends, all my dearest friends to some extent are on pedestals, but mm -hmm. not in the sense that they're better than I am, but they're on pedestals because of the gifts they've brought into my life because of how yeah. much I love them or respect them or appreciate who they are, you know, and those pedestals for me feel healthy, you know, but the ones in which, I mean, we both know what it's like to put, I mean, from cults, <laughs> from cult yeah. living. I mean, I know what it's like to put someone on a pedestal in a very unhealthy way, but you're mm -hmm. right. I think all of those energies in general are being shattered in many ways right now around celebrity, around guru, around politicians, around everyone. I think that we are, there's a very deep call, especially within communities of people who were maybe already seeking and searching and working on their growth. There's a very deep call to go beyond, um, go beyond the sense that someone has for you anything that you don't have within you. Go beyond this idea that the answers are outside of yourself, even if you're connecting with different people and teachers to kind of support you discovering those answers, right? I think we're really waking up to the, the understanding that we each have within us what we need to grow, to heal, to understand, to love, to connect. Like that is coming from within, and there is nothing I or you can say to anybody that can trump their truth when they're willing to be in aligned with it. Yeah. You know, I was um, talking with somebody the other day and, and I hear this frequently, you know, if I could just, you know, be like Eckhart Tolle or in the past, I don't hear him as much because he's, you know, no longer with us, Wayne Dyer. <coughs> um if I could just be like them, you know, or, or the, or I'm no Wayne Dyer or whatever. And, you know, uh, that got me in this question, in this sort of whatever spiral of inquiry, like, okay, what is it aside from celebrity, aside from best-selling books, aside from these things, what is it? What makes the difference? And I had this image of a kid. I, oh, I was actually watching my son, my brother's son, Tommy sit down at a new piano they got and he's really avid about, you know, learning the piano. And so he was sitting there playing the piano and he's actually has some talent. So he's very quickly being able to play music that sounds good. But, you know, he was plunking around and working at it and he was frustrated a couple of times. And I sat there and talked with my brother. We were both watching this. And I said, you know, there is an appropriate respect for mastery. So here's a student they aspire to play really beautiful music. And then here's this master, here's this person who has invested years of their life to, to gain a level of expertise, of, of um, fluidity, of all these things. And Nate and I were talking about this, and I said, what's the difference between, you know, starting out and mastery? And he looked at me and said, practice. Mm -hmm. And he said, also, masters still practice. And, he, and I think that that is often the illusion that we have of gaining a level of mastery in whatever it is, of, is um, there's the one level of, well, no one's better than me. 
and all of that, which is good. It is good to, you know, gain a sense of confidence that says I can, I can, but there is a process of mastery, Scott. And it, and I see it in every, everyone we really admire for the right reasons has developed mastery in some way. And that deserves respect. And they do have things to teach us, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm grateful to learn, you know, from, from them, from the ones that I respond to. And I think, you know, we are, there's such a propensity for backlash in the world that we're living in right now. It is so exhausting. And, and I see it. I mean, I brought up this, I I do feel walls are being broken down that are really positive in terms of the way we look at celebrity culture and, and political culture. I think that these walls that are falling are important because we are creating distinctions that I don't necessarily believe are healthy. But what I'm seeing now is again, the pendulum has swung so far to the other side that it's like this backlash against everything. Like it's wrong. They're wrong. They don't know. They don't know. Instead of just, instead of just, understanding that I will no longer define myself in relation to a celebrity or a politician or a a New York Times bestselling author. Um, That's a healthy thing for me. Mm -hmm. But taking that and then turning it into there's something wrong with all of them inherently because they fell into celebrity culture. It's just so unnecessary. We're, We're creating so many unnecessary wars on this planet instead of just and i don't believe it's ever what love does Mm -hmm. and i don't believe it's ever what we feel called to do when we truly feel aligned with what feels most true for us um, what feels most divine in us when i'm in that space i'm never called to tear down somebody else even those that i don't agree with Mm -hmm. the call for me tends to be around perhaps if this is the call being more vocal in what I believe to be true or, or, but not, not in a way that dehumanizes other human beings, even the human beings that are out there seeking to dehumanize me, Mm -hmm. that is not love. And personally, because I feel more connected, I would say to the world. And I think in many, many, many episodes ago, we touched on this, but the world of like the spiritual wellness people and a lot of what is happening in that world, which is a a lot of awareness being brought to how can we take care of ourselves? How can we look after our immunity? What does it mean to love yourself? Like all of these things are so filled with value um, and encounters a lot of the, the narrative we've gotten used to that comes down from from our governments, from our media, from pharmaceutical companies. These are all things that for me, I've long felt, how do I want to say this? I'm being very careful with my words right now, and I don't even want to be that careful with them. It's like, Jacob, before this pandemic, I could have spoken to any of my friends about the pharmaceutical industry, and 100% of us would have agreed on the level of corruption that exists in that industry. The same goes for media. The same goes for the government. It wouldn't have been something to argue about, because, but, but the difference is we would have been like, yeah, that's just, that's how things are, right? Yes, it's corrupt. And 
that's how things are. Mm. The difference that I'm feeling now that I feel is really positive is there are a lot of us who are not okay that that's how things are and aren't willing to just shrug it off, but in and in, in aren't willing to adapt to those things in the same way we might have been earlier. That feels really positive, like calling note to the hypocrisy, calling you know calling note to the corruption. That feels positive, but not turning it into a war and not then creating sides between where you are now or what you've awakened to now and those whom you don't feel are awakened in the same way, right? It's just another, it's just another reason for an egoic mind to go to war with their fellow human beings. And we're seeing it I mean, the vaccine's the most obvious example right now and most toxic example of this kind of war that's happening between people who are coming to this circumstance with different ideas about what the right choice is. Um, but it's on so many levels, right? And it's never when I'm in my heart what I'm called to do, ever, never, not once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. trying to feel into which direction to go with that. I, I had the fascinating conversation with um, my publicist today and we're friends. So this wasn't about making me more public. This was just about <laughs> us talking. And um, we were talking about what happens on social media and why it's different. Like she said, she made a statement. Maybe all this connection isn't really good for us. And I said something about, oh, the pandemic actually exacerbated a situation that was there before, but it, it drove us into more and more isolation. So the only way that we were connecting, it was for many people, they really either didn't feel comfortable or couldn't go out in public very much, couldn't go sit at a coffee shop and just sort of be in with other people around them. And so during that period of time, and of course, we had a terrifically intense political year. We had a lot of um, racial unrest. And of course, then now it's exacerbated by this pressure cooker of everybody being in their homes and feeling afraid. And so I feel like what happens, though, on social media, and I realize that's not all you're talking about, but I feel like it does tend to take us out of what naturally happens. And by the way, in our subconscious and our brains, like how we assess risk is different th when we're in person rather than we're, when we're online. So if I show up mm -hmm. and I'm sitting with you and we're talking about something that we don't agree about, part of my psyche and my system is, is assessing the fact that you're not actually a threat to me. You have a different idea than I do, but you're not actually threatening me physically. And I think that some of those natural rapport, they're very subtle body language, nonverbal cues. Those things all go into this situation in person. You can even get into a fairly vigorous debate with somebody in person. But online, I think what happens is it's very easy for us to, to create cardboard concepts of other people and go, oh, well, because you said this or believe that, um, you, auto, you automatically are this and it becomes a cardboard cutout, a concept. And very often those car cardboard concepts are also monsters, which means that 
we are we begin reacting to others with the same neurochemicals with the same sense of anxiety and fear as if they are actually a threat to ourselves to our person so we actually get into a more warlike state of being of mind um and i know that's not all that you were talking about earlier but i just feel like that has heightened the intensity of dialogue to a point where it's sometimes very difficult to come back into a more natural like wait a minute this person actually isn't my enemy they just hold a different idea than i do yeah and even if you find that idea to be reprehensible mm -hmm. can we not still maintain a connection to the humanity of that person instead of turning him into the monster that you're talking about mm -hmm. right in the what what is wildly obvious to me is that anytime i am choosing to turn someone into a monster i am harming myself and i am creating harm in our world mm -hmm. even if i find their actions monstrous which doesn't mean I need to be silent in the face of them, mm -hmm. but can I not be vocal in a way that still on some level honors their humanity, knowing that I will be serving myself first and foremost by doing so, because that is living in alignment with love and alignment with my heart. And then also that I will be serving the world. I'm not going to be spewing more of this hatred into an environment that is just overflowing with it right and i i wish yeah. you know i there was this jacob sometimes i i've wished in the past that people who littered would automatically get this they would get like this horrible shock in their body the moment they littered and it would it would teach them immediately and it wouldn't go away until they picked up the thing that they had to pick up and they would learn in the moment, I am never going to be throwing trash into the world because it hurts me incredibly to do so. Right. And there is a part of me that wishes that we're part of that, that we had been built with that kind of wiring that when we're operating in like a nasty, egoic way, we get shocked. Like it's a reminder, hey, wake up. This isn't who you are. This is bullshit. This is the ego. Right right? You are not this person. This is not your truth. Do better. Right. You know, God, that would be, and, and actually we are wired that way. Um, some, no, we, I mean, obviously not with a physical electrical shock, but some of us are naturally more sensitive to, you know, empathy and things like that. What, and what I find with highly empathetic people is that we actually do feel the pain of a situation more acutely than it's not, not everyone is wired with that level of with those antennas all up and turned up to 11 or whatever. But I think that we actually are wired. And the more that we reconnect to our natural state of being, um, that's why we see, Oh my God, I have a friend who just did a workshop in near Austin and she had a bunch of, um, people who were coming, came to her from the wounded warriors project. And so they were deeply traumatized, but these were rough soldiers, man. I mean, they were, and she's like, Jacob, by the end of this workshop, these, these men, they were hugging each other and me, and they were crying. And there was this amazing opening of a heart. And these are people who have been conditioned to be as tough as you can just about get as a human. Yeah. 
Um, and she said, it just was amazing to me to notice that underneath all of those layers, we are deeply sensitive people. We all of us have, we all of us have the capacity to reconnect with our intuition, with our hearts and begin to steer. She said, sometimes it takes a long, it can be quite a process and it can be painful and terrifying to move away from these ways that we were taught to survive or adapt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We just have to do better as human beings. We have to, and, and the truth is we, we do hurt ourselves when we're caught up in hatred. It's just not, it's not as obvious as an electric shock to the system, right? But if we were to pay attention to our lives and how we feel emotionally and physically, when we're spewing hatred at the world and caught up in all of the insanity versus when we're coming back into our hearts, if we really paid attention, we would see, my God, I am definitely doing damage mm -hmm. to myself, mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't have to be this way. And it's incredibly challenging in this world right now and, and always to some degree, but right now for sure, it's incredibly challenging to stay centered in our hearts um, but I just don't see, I don't see another way out of this. I really don't. And I want to, I want to speak to something I said earlier, because when I brought up pharmaceutical industry and government and uh, the media, I don't see anything is all bad or all corrupt. And I didn't mean to suggest that, right? I don't, I don't, I, I think that that's, that's another flawed way we're approaching things. It's like, we're putting this stamp on things as 100% this or 100% that instead of in any way putting effort at seeing the nuances in in our world and in the people with whom we're dealing with in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And it actually ties in, I think, with something I was reading earlier. And this was an article specifically about Twitter and the level of dialogue and kind of what that has become. I think I joined Twitter not long after it it started. And for a while here in Boise, it was such a cool thing because you could, clusters of friends would communicate a lot on Twitter and be like, hey, I'm down here at this coffee shop. And you actually would end up then meeting people in real life. It was yeah. just, it was fun. It was cool. And then, you know, but the, what it has become is something quite different. But this isn't, I'm not, I'm wanting to kind of broaden this beyond the scope of just Twitter, because I feel like it's a universal thing in our world right now. But they were saying in this article, the loss of Twitter's capacity for having a laugh also speaks to the type of earnestness, and this is what I was focused on, type of earnestness and attraction to total moral purity. Itself encouraged partly by the fear, fear of cancellation that is clearly endemic in the culture at the moment, the strain of thinking which posits that it's immoral to enjoy books where the characters do bad things, for example. This obviously is detrimental both to art and to intelligent thinking. Um, and it went on from there and had a lot of other good things to say. But so this is talking about Twitter. This is talking about, you know, a lack of sense of humor. But I think it also is talking about where we are, what we're talking about. This, this, like, if I can just get more right, this race to moral high ground over another. And therefore I have to push everything that's not completely in agreement with this into the other side, which is, and that's my enemy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the, I, I think, 
I think there's value in talking about ways we can do this, like ways, mm -hmm. like for me, one of the practices I have in my life when I see myself going to extreme judgment of another, and I don't always do this in the moment, and I don't even always do it, but I, I am making a point to do this often is I really look for the places in me that I'm judging in that other person. And 100% of the time I find them, <laughs> even if it's, even if it doesn't seem as severe as what they're doing. Like if I'm judging someone for their hypocrisy, I can look at myself and come up with a thousand instances of my own hypocrisy. Right. And there's such value in doing this because especially if we are committed to loving ourselves, if we are committed to, to acknowledging our own humanity within this journey, if I'm able to look at my hypocrisy, instead of just saying, you're a piece of shit, Scott, for being a hypocrite, just say, you're a human being mm -hmm. for being a hypocrite. And like, let's move beyond this hypocrisy because it's coming from your egos need to be right or whatever. But if I'm willing to look at my hypocrisy, I'm that much less likely to dehumanize another person for their theirs, which again, to be clear, doesn't mean that I might not acknowledge their hypocrisy, say to them, this feels hypocritical, but not from a place of superiority, not from a place where I'm never a hypocrite mm -hmm. and how dare you be? Mm -hmm. And can we not do this with everything? We can do this with everything. And if we choose to do that, just always bring it back to myself. What am I judging here? Because I really believe, Jacob, the only way we are aware of these things in other people is because we feel them in ourselves. If I did not have this thing in myself, I don't even know how I would observe it in another person. How would I recognize that is hypocrisy if I don't know what hypocrisy looks and feels like in myself? How would I recognize your jealousy if I don't know how that feels in my own being? And if we can start, what this takes though is just intense honesty and, and a willingness to be like, I'm not, I'm not some fucking perfect human being who doesn't fuck up sometimes and doesn't judge and doesn't do this. It's a willingness to say, I am all those things. And be, and you are too. Mm -hmm. And, and let's at least, if we can start connecting to each other's humanity through that lens, I feel like there's hope that the, the conversations we have with one another can shift. Yeah. Well, we're so used to a certain version of conflict and that being, you know, like, major clashes, heads butting, people yelling, you know, like really vigorous um, disagreement in some way, or even violent disagreement in some way. And, you know, Scott, I'm, I actually hired a coach several, like five years ago, an executive coach, and she was, um, I went to her saying, listen, I think I might be kind of broken. Like, I don't seem to have the capacity to be like angry very often, or if it or if it happens, it happens so far after the fact, like it might be the next day or two days later that I look back at a situation and go, okay, I feel, I feel violated by that. I feel angry. And I said, I don't 
really know what to do with that. It feels inappropriate. It feels like I need to have better access to. And so she started working me through, you know, what, what does a boundary look like? You know, what does it look like to grow a better sense of your own self and where you end and other people begin? So that was very useful. But she also said, Jacob, you need to understand you're, you're, you know, we did a variety of assessments and she said, you don't really have anger wired into you very much. Like what some people just go right to anger as a natural response or reaction. She said, you're, you're wired to take to take a step back, take a breath, look around, look for the benefit on both sides. And she said that can sometimes come across as very wishy-washy. And sometimes you've probably even been uh, criticized for being wishy-washy. And I'm like, yeah, like you read my mind. And so it's been interesting for me to be with that. And with my kids, for example, I watched the different um, way that my brother is with his kids. And he does, he has, you know, kind of very immediate access to, I don't like that. We're dealing with this. They get right into it. That's never been my way. And I'm, I'm bringing this back around to what you were talking about. Um, in my world, what I discovered with my kids, we didn't have a bunch of rules. I wasn't super structured. In fact, I was pretty sure I was fucking up their lives by not having a lot of structure. And, um, one thing I did find though was vulnerability for me was conflict. It looked very, very different than most other people's conflict. So when I would go into a situation, I didn't seem capable of raising my voice and, you know, demanding things. What I did find was I was, I did become more capable of saying, this is a problem. Um, I'm not, I, this isn't easy for me to address with you, but it does feel imbalanced. It feels like we need to address this. How, how shall we work that out? And um, I began to discover for myself, I mean, once again, this is why I love self-discovery and self-acceptance, because I began to discover that that was a form of conflict. And I began to look into what does conflict even mean? It's like, oh, it's a resolution of an imbalance. It's, you know, here's this idea or, you know, expectation and here's this other one. And to, to go into con healthy conflict to me is nothing more than balancing out a situation that it, it is not, that is not balanced in some way that actually began to help me forgive and, um, come into a more healthy relationship with the idea of what does conflict mean? And so I have very little patience for, conflict just for the pure drama of it or the let me you know just get my voice heard I don't I don't it doesn't work for me very well what I do love though is the intense um, level of what's required to go into a situation and be very very honest when it's hard for me you know to say okay this I need to say this and I also find with my kids and with my you know friends I find that it often helps me to be honest about also how I feel about even saying it. It's like, you know, I, this is hard for me to bring this up. And so I actually need your help because I value you and I value our connection. I, we need to get this balanced out. I just don't know how to go right into it. And that for me has been sort of a workaround of, uh, you know, from what had been kind of crippling in the past, just not knowing how to address things at all. And how do you get yourself there? How do you get yourself to even show up for the conversations that need to be had? Mm. I think that that 
even addressing it with that guide years ago and having her give me some tools, she just said, I want you to start noticing when you when you're feeling uncomfortable in a situation and how disassociated you've become from your own needs. Right. Right. She's like, you're going to, you're going to start noticing discomfort in your body that you have been ignoring for all of your life. And when you do that, that is going to be your warning sign or your alert that says, maybe it's not time to go off the handle, but maybe it's time to become aware that something needs to be balanced out here, that something needs to be addressed. Yeah. And even, I think we, I think we've all had the experience, everyone listening and and you and I, Jacob, of the profound relief that comes from, even if your voice is shaking Mm -hmm. when you're saying, I'm not comfortable with this in this moment, can we talk about this, whatever Mm -hmm. the this is? Um, It's like dozens of elephants being lifted off your shoulder and those conversations, in my experience, Mm -hmm. I was going to say always, but at the risk of, you know, is everything always, almost always move, move the, the dialogue, the experience, the connection, the conflict forward in a positive way. Mm -hmm. I will say always, because the truth is if you're being, if you're in your vulnerability and sharing something that you feel called to share, it's going to move forward in a way that, that serves whatever's happening, even if it doesn't necessarily look like it, or even if that serving isn't how you wanted things to go, mm-hmm. there is a benefit in being honest and being vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know? And also sometimes you see that the people you're vulnerable with aren't the people you can be vulnerable with. They don't respond to it in a way that is is good. They shame you for your vulnerability. And there's something powerful in learning that too, because then what you understand is this is not a person I'm going to show up within this way, mm-hmm. which is to say, for me, there's no downside. You know, I want to keep getting to deeper truth, more vulnerability, more honesty in my relationships. And so discovering that some of my relationships can't hold that space is as important as giving that to the relationships that can. Wow. I mean, that's, you really said a lot right there. Addressing something and finding out and and trusting like there's there's risk there's a risk we take in telling the truth and a lot i'm like right and so it's it's this question of what that has actually come back to me a lot as a point of inquiry what am i actually risking here am i risking this person might reject or abandon me in some way how would that be if that happened In some cases, I find that I've been continuing to go along with a dynamic for a long time that wasn't great for me and never was. And if I risk telling the truth in in my own way, whether that's gentle or vulnerable or whatever it is, if I risk telling the truth to this person, I'm going to find out the truth. And there's something deeper when I when I play that out and am able to connect to, and I will never abandon myself or I'm learning how not to abandon myself. I'm learning how not to reject myself. And so if this truth that I tell this request that I make for balance, for rebalancing, if it's not met with that on the other side, I know now 
that I will not reject or abandon myself. And therefore I will be okay on the other side of that. And I do find out the truth, which is this, this relationship, this dynamic probably wasn't good for me and probably not the other person either, you know? Yeah. What you're saying is so powerful because if, if we can get to that place, again, this for me comes back to self-love because it's in self-love that we find the willingness to not abandon ourselves. Right. There's a certainty in it. Like if you know that I'll, if I know that I'm going to be there for myself, no matter what happens on the other side of whatever conversation it is, I feel I need to have, I am that much more likely to have that conversation. Hmm. I feel that much more courageous. It's when we don't even have ourselves there that I feel like we prevent our, we prevent ourselves from doing the things that we need to do from saying the things that we need to say because we don't have our own back. Right. And I think so many of us are used to not having our own backs, but that is, this comes full circle now back to what you were saying in the beginning. It's with practice. Mm -hmm. How do we become self-loving? We practice at self-love. Mm -hmm. We make choices consistently that reflect love for ourselves, right? We show up for ourselves in this way consistently. And we acknowledge when we're doing so because that reinforces the fact that we are self-loving. And the more we practice at it, the more we give to ourselves in this loving, compassionate way, the way we would to those we love the most in our lives, the way we would to our very best friends, mm. when we're able to do that for ourselves, the kinds of lives we're able to create for ourselves changes indescribably. The courage, our, my courage is so much greater than it's ever been because I know I have my back, right? We yeah. can't, in a way you can't fail because you know that if you do fail, quote unquote, you're there for yourself, mm -hmm. not to shame yourself for trying, but to acknowledge your effort and love yourself and yeah. remind yourself of your humanity. I really feel like there's, there's, there's a reflection I want to give you. And I, so I need you to remind me of that part, but I know I'll forget this other thing, but you're going to really like this reflection. So, rem oh, so, yeah. so, so please remember to remind me. Okay, good. You're going to really like this part. Um, <laughs> no, I, it's so interesting, Scott, to go into self-love when you just said that I love that we are working around the outsides of this in ways that I feel like make it that much more relatable, that much more practical. Often when I'm working with myself or someone else and we're saying, okay, what would you love? What would you love to create? You know, we're, we're seeking to assemble a vision of, okay, this is where I want to go. It is, what do you really want? For example, is a, is a question. It is so rare that someone shows up and is able to state immediately what I would love because partly we're, we're wired to, we just know things don't feel right. And, and so it's, I've found it to be so much more useful a lot of times to start with, well, let's take a look at your circumstances right now. Why don't you write a list of everything you don't, you don't want to continue. You don't love. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard that, that statement out there, how do you develop self-love? And it said, by exploring your self-hatred. And 
where I want to focus here, though, is you just said, I know I've had my back. I know I won't reject myself. I know I won't abandon myself. I think it can be really useful to go, if I want to learn what love would look like in my life, how about I make a list of things a loving person wouldn't do? If I were, if I were cared for at an early age during my formative years in all the best possible ways, like really healthy, good ways, what are ways what are, what's a list of attributes or actions that that caregiver would never do? Well, they wouldn't reject me. They wouldn't abandon me. They wouldn't tell me I'm not good enough. They wouldn't demonstrate that I'm not good enough. They wouldn't tell me I have no needs or that my needs aren't important. You know, you can start making this list. And sometimes again, that can be a little bit more accessible for people than going, what does self-love mean? Sometimes that just ends up being this sort of vague but compelling idea. And I want to put some handles on it. It's like, if you want to develop a practice of becoming more loving to yourself, of having your own back, make a list of, of ac actions or behaviors that someone who loved you deeply and wanted everything the best for you would never do. Let's, let's start with the negative side. And that's always the flip side of then... If, if someone who really, really loves me wouldn't reject me, what's the other side of rejection? What's the positive side of rejection? That means they would, what, Scott, you help me, help me uh, explore this. Well, I mean, the, the alternative, what, the opposite of what you're saying is just what are all the things a loving person would do? Support me, show compassion Accept. toward me, cheerlead me, encourage me remind me of my worth, remind me of my value, um, mm -hmm. remind me that I am loved and loving, mm -hmm. like all of those things. For me, it's also about eliminating, eliminating this notion that you do not know how to love yourself because it's a lie. Mm. It's not true. Mm. If, you're, if you're someone who's listening and who thinks that, the only reason you would be listening to this podcast is because you love yourself. It is not for me. You're not listening for me and Jacob. You're listening because you feel in some way that you are benefiting from the energy exchange that's happening and that it is in some way serving your life, which means you are showing up for an hour right now in service to your life in a positive way, which means you are loving yourself. So one of the first things we can all stop doing mm -hmm. is repeating this idea in our heads and certainly out loud to others that I don't know how to love myself. It's not true. Yeah. It's not true. And you feed this idea, it just gives more energy to this whole idea that you don't, when in fact, if we're really paying attention, we're likely to find aspects in the day where we're not making the healthiest choices for ourselves. Sure, that's part of being human. But we're also likely to find many times throughout the day where we we made a decision, we spoke words, we did something that reflected self-love. We took care of ourselves in some way. Mm -hmm. And what happens in our reality when we give more energy to that? What happens when we give energy to the acknowledgement of how we are showing up for ourselves with more vigor than the ways in which we're not showing up for ourselves? right? It shifts the whole focus. It shifts the dynamic. And then it naturally energizes us to continue 
to show up for ourselves in a positive way because when we acknowledge it, we feel good. Mm-hmm. When I'm aware, like, damn, you are taking care of yourself right now, man, that energizes me to continue doing it. When I'm aware that, damn, you're beating up on yourself, man, the truth is that keeps that in motion too. It's all energy. Mm-hmm. And we know this. And, and when we start to pay more attention, this is, you know, Jacob, we were speaking earlier about paying attention to how we feel when we're spewing hatred at the world mm-hmm. and when we're dehumanizing others. This is another thing we can be paying attention to. How does it feel when I acknowledge that I'm taking care of myself in a healthy way? Feels fucking great. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> right? Wow. It's about and the he, conscious choices we can make. Yeah. And, and that ability to take it out of the cloud of concepts uh, of the books that we've read and the seminars we've attended and all this stuff and go in this moment, in this moment, I can make a choice not to compare myself to the model of perfection in that book about the seven steps of this or that. But in this moment, I can make this choice to show myself that I love me right now. Yeah. And how does this feel? It feels great. And you know what? You gave yourself 10 seconds or a minute of a good feeling emotion. And that's that's worthwhile. Wait, reflection. I just remembered. I wanted to reflect. <laughs> oh, I, and I will. I will in just a moment. I'm going to drag this out for a while. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's why I get to hear the juicy stuff. Uh, no, I just want to make sure that... I want to make sure that we're actually offering handles on this. And this is coming from, I know, Scott, your experience and my experience. Like these are not things we're talking about from a book. So this is actual life. And I want to just say that what you just shared about the energy that shifts when I reflect and acknowledge this, I am doing this. I I am capable of loving myself in this moment. If I'm sitting with a group of friends and they are all talking, they're talking over me and I'm starting to feel more and more, you know, like my, my voice doesn't matter. I don't matter to all those things that start coming up. It's like right this moment, how could I love, how could I behave in a loving manner to myself? Cause I know I matter now and it's taken years to like come to that. But I know that I actually do matter. And oh, by the way, this conversation, I don't necessarily have to get my voice heard loudly um, or compete, but how can I communicate to myself in this moment mm-hmm. that it's okay, I matter, um, I'll listen to me. And also, and I've had this experience at some point saying, speaking up and proving to myself no, I am willing to stand up for myself as needed, when needed, um, and say, hey, guys, so I actually have something to, to share about that. And I kind of feel like maybe this isn't the time. And that if if you're willing to, and, and they almost always go, oh, my God, of course, we just got talking too fast and too much. Of course, we want to hear what you have to say. And it's interesting, those micro choices of saying, I love me, I matter, I belong here. It's surprising how that does shift the energy without going into the whole story, walking away, feeling sad and dejected and broken and all, all those things. It's like, it, it doesn't take a huge action most of the time to change that. 
Yeah, I think what you're bringing up is so often it just takes a question. Yeah. You know, it can be so important. I, I've said in my workshops often that one of the questions I ask myself more than any other is, what is love inviting me to do right now? Mm-hmm. Like, how is love asking me to show up right now? And I, I ask that question in terms of myself often mm-hmm. as well. Like, if you're someone who's listening and you're, you get in cycles of self-abuse where it's very natural for you to beat yourself up, I encourage you to interrupt that cycle with this simple question. How is love asking me to show up for myself Mm -hmm. right now? Mm -hmm. And allow yourself to answer that question because the answer to that question will never be, it's asking me to shame myself for having just said or done this thing. It will always be something of the frame. Like love is inviting me to be compassionate with myself, to show grace to myself, to be generous with myself. These are the invitations of love. And so a very practical, simple step. And I feel like you've done this throughout this podcast, Jacob. You're always tossing out questions we can be asking ourselves. And I think that's such a, it's such a simple but powerful tool Mm -hmm. if we're willing to answer them. Mm -hmm. Because the first thing it does is it completely interrupts the energy that's going on. And so often the energy that's going on when we need to ask ourselves those questions is an energy that's taking us into some sort of downward spiral into misery, right? So energetically what we're doing by inserting the question is we're mixing things up. We're shaking ourselves out of this like the spiral and then inviting something that counters that spiral. We're, in, we're walking ourselves into an energetic place of compassion, grace, love. And it's a great tool. Questions are a great tool. And be intentional with the questions. You know, the questions, I'm not suggesting we ask ourselves those questions like, how am I being an asshole right now? <laughs> Even when we're being an asshole, like a, for me, a better question, like if I'm if I'm judging someone out there who's doing something that I hate, Rather than saying like, well, I don't even know what I was going to say. Well, I said this earlier. It's like, how, how are they showing up in a way that I sometimes show up to? That invites me to be more empathetic with them rather than saying like, well, you're an asshole too. How are you an asshole? It's like, how am I showing up in the same way that they're showing up so that I can see they are more than just this action, right? We can frame our questions very skillfully and why wouldn't we, right? Why wouldn't we manipulate these questions in a way that leads us to a place that is more rooted and centered in love? Right, which brings me precisely to the reflection I needed to give oh, you. Oh, I forgot. Yay. Yeah, no, what you just said is a is specifically why I wanted to reflect this, Scott. I've noticed that you frequently stop yourself when you're making a general statement or you're making a, you know, like we or you, you will frequently stop yourself and say, you know what, this is how I experience that. Or you'll, you'll take the ownership of that feeling for yourself. And by the way, to me, that goes beyond a mere semantic, you know, perfection of some kind of catching yourself. I really feel like it's a reflection of how you've chosen to live your life, which is I want to speak from the truth of the experience of what I can know of what I have personally experienced. And I just want you to know that is a rare 
thing for me to see in people. Um, mm -hmm. you catch catch the times when there's a projection or there's a general statement, and say, "I want to be. I want to speak this from my own very individual." experience from what I, from what I can know, from what I can know right now. And I just want you to know that's, um, that, that, refl that reflects a, a lot of refinement of who you are. And I know you've spent years probably developing that. So I just want to say that's really remarkable. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, it's a, I'm a work in progress with that all the time because there's a part of me that is, I one, I want to receive that and say, thank you so much for acknowledging that. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm still self-righteous in my, you know, at times and thinking I can speak for everybody. Sure. You know, that's, that's what's going on in my head a lot more than what's coming through my mouth, because I do understand that that is more egoic, like, right. That's mm -hmm. so thank you for that. Well, and I just want to say too, that that is, that is the process. And I, here's, here's what I've come to teachers I want to listen to and learn from are people who earn my trust and respect by first speaking from the I, from yeah. my experience. I don't want to hear people pontificating about we or you until I, until they've actually, they, I feel like they have to earn that by saying, this is how I've lived it. This yeah. is, this is what I am learning from it. This is how, so I feel like the more that people are doing that, the more I respect them and willing to listen. Otherwise to me, it's just, it's just fucking noise. Yeah. I feel you, man. Thank you. Thank you. So you get to say we and you at times. <laughs> no, and I really mean this like that. You've earned that right in my life. Um, if I never heard you say or stop yourself and come and bring it back to your own experience, it would be much harder for me to to hear you make general, more general statements, but I feel like you've yeah. earned that right because of how you live your life. Well, thank you, brother. Yeah. I appreciate that. What do you think? Are we at a wind it down, close it out? I think so. I just want to say, I'm so excited about, um, I went back to the men's group. I've referred to that men's group so many yeah. times and I went back there on Tuesday night. Um, and my brother Nate joined me and he's decided to, to sit for a cycle, which is wonderful. I'm so excited that he gets to have that experience. And afterward, and I said, you know, I want to, I was going with him for the open night where it's kind of preview. And I said, I want you to make the choice. Like I'm, if in any way my presence would make you feel like you weren't able to be as open or experience it kind of without my influence, then I would like you to say so. And he came back to me afterward and it was a profound and wonderful experience. Um, and he said, Jake, I would, I would really like it if you'd go through this with me. And so I just felt like that was such a, oh. a wonderful thing. And I'm, and he invited me back to it. So I'm, I'm going to do that with him. And I, you know, I haven't sat in a circle in a cycle now for, I don't know, a couple of years, I think. Um, and so I, I've paid attention to when I would be called back to it. So it's, I feel interested and I just know that being called back to it, even the parts of me, they're like, oh, you know, I'm too busy or maybe I was like, oh no, there's some juicy shit in there for you this time. So I'm going back. Oh, good. I'm, I'm excited to see how it develops. And I hope whatever feels appropriate for you to like mention in our podcast, I'll be curious to see what kinds of insights or things that you're you're discovering or revisiting in yourself as you're going through this that'll be cool well I, I could just i can predict that it'll be an intense level of wisdom beyond what well obviously because you're annoyingly grounded 
<laughs> we've established, we established that right on the outset. The other thing yeah. I wanted to say about the benefits of living right before I gave you that reflection, um, the benefits of, of processing life this way, though, Scott, of learning to become more connected to the moment, to what, what would love ask of me right now for myself, for the situation, the benefits of doing that and learning to respond. I was just thinking, I was looking at your face. Um, one of the benefits of this is a lightness of being. Mm-hmm. It's of being able to let go of situations more rapidly. Things that I used to yeah. get wound up in for days or weeks, yeah. and it was just like a storm system over my head. It's now it becomes not like not that I am not ever deep in the process or something, but it's kind of rare now because I've learned to be much more immediate and sp- speak truth to myself and then speak truth with others with love in ways that I don't find myself perseverating as much. So it's just increased an overall sense of well-being, of lightness, of being, and of feeling healthy, of feeling okay in the world. Maybe that's the simplest way to say it, of feeling more and more okay. Yeah, which is, again, it's because you've been practicing at it. It didn't just happen. Yeah. These things don't just happen, right? But the practice pays off. Yeah, It matters. I'd love to read a note we got from a listener. Oh, cool. This is from Susan. It says, I became aware of your podcast by being a member of Jacob's tribe after the virtual gathering of the creatives in 2020. I have thoroughly enjoyed the ease of your conversations, the topics discussed, and the love and respect that you have for one another. I never fail to take away several nuggets of insight each time I listen. And there is this bizarre synchronicity to your topics and what seems to come up on my radar at any given time. Weird! Exclamation point. Anyway, thank you for the thought-provoking discussions and the laughter. I'm going to be in Santa Fe from 1024 to 1031. If either or both of you are in town, would love to buy you a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Susan, I'm not, I'm going to be arriving just, I'm going to be arriving on the second. I'm just going to miss you um, because I'm relocating to Santa Fe on the second, but thank you. And thank you for the message. And I, I wanted to read this because there is a the idea of this, and there is a bizarre synchronicity to your topics. I feel like we've gotten that in a lot of the messages we receive. Mm. And I love that. And for me, that makes so much sense. I don't even know what I want to say about it other than I love when people write to me or to us and say, what you're speaking about right now is what I'm going through because it reminds me how similar we all are Mm. and, and how the experience of being human in this reality is in so many parts the same for all of us and these types of synchronicities make sense and also whenever i'm feeling that kind of synchronicity in my life for me energetically i feel like i'm where i need to be mm-hmm. i'm right where i need to be so thank you for sharing that susan yeah that's that's beautiful and i want to encourage um one thing i would like to invite would be <laughs> Go to heyjacobhighscott.com and keep sending us these wonderful notes. I love every note that comes in. And I would love it if you're willing and you can feel free to say, I'd like you to address this anonymously or just use my first name or whatever. But I would love it if you would pick out something that is a struggle and not so you can like just have our amazing wisdom barfed over you, but have allow us to talk it out together Um I feel like if you ask a question, much like the synchronicities thing, I've worked with groups and I know you have too, Scott, where it's like, please ask your questions or share what you're struggling with because you might think it's insignificant. You might think you're the only one, 
But in reality, what I've noticed in working with larger groups is the people who have the courage to stand up and ask a question or bring something up, they are speaking for a lot of people. And other people are so grateful when you bring it up. So um, 100% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's so don't feel like whatever you're struggling with is shameful or insignificant or dumb or whatever. If you want to bring, you know, ask us a question or share something you're struggling with, we, we would like to have the opportunity. And I want to share this from um, Shani, Shani Nicholas, I think it is. Um, she has this great app and she had an affirmation of the week. So we're heading into the um, Halloween weekend. And um, I also like to refer to it as a Samhain which is spelled Samhain, but I learned it's, it's pronounced Samhain. Um, and I realize kind of whenever you're listening to this, it's not specific only to this weekend, but I do love that this time of year and the focus or the willingness to realize that the veils are thinner. And, and even if that's in our imagination to go, I am paying attention to this lineage, this family, and there are thousands and thousands of people who came before me in this lineage to make me here today. And they lived and they died and they suffered and they were victorious over things. But there's this affirmation that I loved. And it says this, Scott, honoring my lineage sometimes looks like a radical departure from the family system, patterns and propensities. Showing love to all those that brought me here includes being brave enough to heal what they could not. Hmm. We read it one more time. Honoring my lineage sometimes looks like a radical departure from my family system, patterns, and propensities. So if you feel like you've really broken away from the way your family was, showing love to all those that brought me here includes being brave enough to heal what they could not. That's beautiful yeah. and powerful. I love that, brother. Can we name this? Can we title this episode? I've I've held on to this since you said it like three minutes ago. Amazing wisdom barfed over us, <laughs> barfed over you. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> anyway, I love you. Thank you all listeners for listening so much. Um, if you're called, please uh, go and follow us on wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review if you're called to that would be wonderful we don't need to right. that, we don't need to it's up to you to choose how good it can get how much love you can let into your life into your heart before your mind decides it's too much it's up to you to choose It's up to you to choose